North Shore Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you for being with us today. Uh, this is your first time. My name is Chris. I'm the pastor here at uh, North Shore. Uh, and uh, maybe some of you are guests today or, or you're, you haven't been here for very long. You didn't know that Pastor RJ is my brother, uh, the one who was up here doing announcements and offering and stuff. And so uh, we've grown up together. I'm four years older than he is. And, and so we've gone through a lot together. One, one year I remember for his birthday, RJ got a um, boxing gloves. And it was this little Sugar Ray Leonard boxing thing. And he had this little platform that you would stand on. And this, you know, this wire that held up or this bar that held up the punching bag. And you'd punch that bag and it'd come back for you. And uh, it, was, it was fun. And, uh, you know, but, but it it's, gets boring just punching a bag for too long. And really what you want to do is punch something with a face. You know what I'm talking about? <clears throat> Come on, when you have punching, you have boxing gloves on, you want to hit something that like will say ow, you know, to, to know how much of a man you are. And, and so uh, we got tired of punching the bag all the time. And so we, we decided on a little game that we would play together. And so we got some boxing gloves here today. And uh, since, there was only, since there was only two boxing gloves, uh, I had one. And RJ, why don't you come up here? Let's, let's do this. Get that off of there. That. So, um, so we had the rules. Oh, you got mine. That's all right. So, so, so our rule was, because I was the older brother, I was four years older than he was, and, and when you're little, that makes a big difference. But um, we had just a couple of rules. One was that I got the left-hand glove because um, I was older, and um, the other rule was you could only punch with the boxing glove hand, right? You can't bare knuckle. This isn't like, this isn't like street yard fighting. This is civilized, right? So we had, you could only punch with the gloved hand. Um, RJ could swing how, however hard he wanted, right? Because he was little brother, like, swing away, buddy. And um, my rule was that I could only jab. I could only just pop him. I, I had to hold back. And so, um, you know, when you're that age, you know, I, the older brother, bigger, faster, stronger, smarter, better looking, all of those things... <laughs> This was just an opportunity for me to, once again, establish my authority in the home. Well, you could never do this when mom was around because she wouldn't allow it. But when mom was gone, dad was there. And dad would say, okay, you go to your corner, you go to your corner. And he'd do the measurements and stuff like that. He'd say, you know, keep it clean, you know, all that stuff. And then he'd ring the bell and we'd come out boxing. Now, now often RJ would swing and miss. You know, we'd have our hands behind our back and RJ would swing and miss. And all I would do is I would just keep touching him. <laughs> right? And then he'd swing again, and I'd just touch him again and, and touch him some more, touch him some more. I'd try to hit him. See? See? This is what's going on. He's boxing. I'd fake here and go there. But, but I'd, I'd just keep popping him and keep popping him, and he's getting angrier and angrier, and I'm just letting him know, you know, letting him feel it, letting him, letting him feel it. And then typically what would happen is there would be a time that he would finally connect with me, and... Uh, We talked about this. <laughs> okay. There was a time that he would connect with me, and then it was on, right? And uh, so, so he would hit me once. He'd catch me good. And uh, I, I, would, I would swing just a little bit harder. Not hard enough to get in trouble, but hard enough that he knew that I was hitting harder, right? And so I'd swing a little bit harder to him. Then his smile, which you see right now, would turn into a scowl. And he would start going two hands, right? 
left and right, bare knuckles all over the place. And usually what would happen is he would come at me and uh, I would hunker down into the corner because he would go crazy, right? And as I'm in the corner, just protecting myself, being a good big brother, I was yelling at my dad. And I was saying, dad, you better tell him to get off me because he's about to get hurt, right? <laughs> How many of you had brothers and you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? And so he's swinging away, he's swinging away and my dad is laughing because he's crazy in the head. And, uh, <laughs> And then finally, I have to start fighting back and pushing back, and I, and I just start swinging harder and harder until he's on the ground crying. I would do that right now, but um, it might not end well for me. So thanks. <laughs> Thank you, RJ. Come on. But uh, every time, every time we would fight, I got a little bit of a headache now. <laughs> every time we would fight, the outcome was never in question. We always knew who the winner was going to be. And I don't say that as like, you know, being arrogant like I usually am. That the, the outcome was never in question because I was four years older than him. And at that age, that's a big difference. And, and we knew who was going to win. I was always going to win. No matter how angry he got, no matter how crazy he got, I was always going to win. And, um, and, and that's kind of how it goes with big brothers and little brothers, you know? I, I remember as we got older, the, the wrestling continued. And, and one time I was 20 and he was 16 and we were helping my grandpa at Lexington. And one night after work, we were wrestling around in one of the bedrooms and, and um, I tripped. I didn't get tackled or knocked down. I tripped. And I fell in between a bed and a wall. And for whatever happened, my legs got pinned back over my head. So I was on the back of my neck. My legs were pinned over my head. Um, we would demonstrate this this morning, but it's not Easter Sunday appropriate. And um, as he pinned me over my head, he, he held my legs there and he took full advantage, man. And he, he hit me on the bottom, just wham, wham, wham. And he wasn't stopping, man. There was like years of pent-up rage and anger. He was just unloading on me. And I'm screaming in pain. I'm like, oh, stop it. And then I'm starting to threaten because that's what happens. I'm like, you're dead. Once I get up here, you had better run because you're going to experience a pain that you've never felt in your life. And I mean, he's wham, wham. And then he gets up and he runs to the bathroom and locks the door. And you can only stay in a locked bathroom for so long. And even in that moment... Though he had the upper hand for a second, he knew, even in that battle, he was going to lose. <laughs> he was, I was going to win. Again, the outcome of our little fights were never in question. Because I would get up, he would come out the door, and he would get the beating that he really deserved, right? Now, the older brother doesn't always stay the stronger brother, so we don't fight much anymore, right? I, uh, you know, he, he got stronger than me at some point, and we were wrestling. He picked me up. He dropped me on my head, and we don't wrestle anymore, so, so we don't do that. I'm not stupid, but, but that's just how it went. He always knew that in our little battles growing up, he was going to lose. He was the younger brother. He was always going to lose. The outcome was never in question. Now, there's a lot of you here today, and you're in a fight. You're staring across the ring at something that's a lot bigger than a skinny little 12-year-old with a glove on his left hand. You know what I mean? And, and you, you're here this morning, and you don't see how you could possibly win. As you evaluate this fight that you're in, you know what the outcome is going to be. You know that you are going 
to lose. You're in a fight today. Some of you are fighting depression and you're losing. Some of you are being bullied at school or at work and you don't see how it could possibly get any better. Some of you are here today and you are at war with your spouse and and you don't know how it got to this point. When you stood up there in the church and you made your vows, you knew it was going to be perfect and you knew it was going to be harmony and you knew everything was going to be wonderful and, and fantastic, but for whatever reason right now you are in a war and you don't see any possible way of coming out of this. Maybe you're here today and you're battling a physical sickness and, and man, it keeps touching you and keeps touching you and keeps touching you. And no matter how hard you fight, it's just, it's fighting harder and it's stronger. Maybe debt is pounding you. Resentment is destroying you. Anger is beating you. Frustration is overwhelming you. Unforgiveness is wrecking you. Stress is just hammering you over and over and over again. You've been battling addiction for so long and it's just been beating you up day after day, week after week, year after year, and you think there's no possible way I can win this. I am in over my head. I'm not strong enough. I'm not powerful enough. I'm not smart enough. I cannot win this one. I wanna show you this morning that there is hope for you. Though the enemy may be winning, he will not win. And yeah, amen, come on, come on. That's a reason to clap. <clears throat> In fact, not only will he not win, he can't win. He can't win. The story of the resurrection isn't just a nice little Easter message. It's not just a reason to, to do stuff for the kids and buy chocolate and candy. It's not just a history lesson. It's a promise. The story of the resurrection is a promise, and it's a promise not only for them back in, old, or in Bible days, but it's a promise for you today. The story of the resurrection is a guarantee that no matter what fight you are facing, what fight you are facing today, no matter how bad the situation and the circumstance, no matter how bad you may be losing at this moment, the empty grave is proof that the fight is fixed. The empty grave is proof that the outcome is set and victory for you is guaranteed. I wanna show you what I mean through scripture here this morning. Before we look into scripture, and we're gonna kinda walk through this process of of the cross and the resurrection and what that means for us today, Um, but before we get there and we start talking about all of that stuff, I need you to know something. There's something that we absolutely have to understand before we look at the cross and the resurrection, and that's this, that Jesus was never outmatched, outmuscled, overwhelmed, overpowered, or caught off guard. Jesus was never the little brother, okay? Because there is a a whole scene in the life of Jesus where it looks like the religious leaders and the Romans overwhelmed him, overpowered him, caught him off guard. But Jesus was never overwhelmed. He was never overmatched. He was never overpowered, and he was never caught off guard. We have to absolutely understand that this morning. If we don't understand that reality, then today we have a false hope. Jesus was always, always, always in control. I want to show you what I mean. Watch this. Mark chapter 9, verse 30. It says this. 
Leaving that region, Jesus and the disciples traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know he was there, for he wanted to spend more time with his disciples and teach them. He said to them, the Son of Man, which was a messianic title that Jesus often used to refer to himself. He calls himself the Son of Man. So Jesus is talking about himself. He says, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He will be killed, but three days later he will rise from the dead. Verse 32 says they didn't understand what he was saying, however, and they were afraid to ask what he meant. So this is what's happening. Jesus clearly tells them that here in the next couple of days and weeks, um, I'm going to be killed, uh, but I'm going to rise again. And um, then scripture tells us the disciples had no idea what he was talking about. And they were too afraid to ask Jesus to explain what he was talking about. And so they're thinking, man, Jesus is talking in parables. He's talking in riddles. We don't fully know where he is going. You see, the problem was the disciples had absolutely no mental ability to process this kind of information. And if they asked Jesus, like, could you explain yourself? They didn't want to feel stupid. In fact, this was the second time that Jesus had told his disciples that he was going to die and then raise again from the dead. The first time that that happened, Jesus was telling them that he was going to die. Peter stood up to Jesus and said, absolutely not. No way. This isn't going to happen. I won't let it happen. And Jesus calls Peter Satan and says, get behind me, Satan. You don't have a clue what you're talking about, and you don't know the will of the Father. And so so that was the first time. And so maybe they don't respond this time because none of the other disciples want to be called Satan. You know what I mean? Like, that's a bad day when you're in your inner circle, and Jesus is talking, and you disagree with him, and then he calls you the devil. You're like, ah, okay, I'll keep my mouth shut next time. And so this is the second time Uh, that that we see Jesus is very clearly saying, I'm going to die, and three days later, I'm going to rise again. We see Jesus says this one more time when he tells the disciples again exactly what's going to happen in Mark chapter 10, verse 32. He says, they were now on their way up to Jerusalem. Again, this was a week before Jesus was going to die on the cross. And understand that Jesus went to Jerusalem because that's where the cross was. This is very important that we understand this. Jesus was pursuing the cross. Jesus was going towards the cross, knowing what it was going to cost him. And so they were on their way up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was walking ahead of them. The disciples were filled with awe, and the people following behind were overwhelmed with fear. Again, we talked about some of the implications and some of the the, the social tension and the societal tension that they were experiencing. We talked about that last week. Um, And so there was some real tension as they were going into Jerusalem. Taking the 12 disciples aside, Jesus once more began to describe everything that was about to happen to him. And so the crowds are, are large and they're following Jesus. One more time, Jesus pulls the 12 disciples aside, kind of a little inner circle meeting. And this is what he says. He says, listen, we're going to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, again, he's referring to himself, kind of talking in the third person there, saying where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and the teachers of religious law. They will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. Jesus is telling them in amazing detail what is about to happen to him. He's saying the religious leaders will accuse me and the Romans will kill me. And you have to understand how opposed the religious leaders and the Romans were. It would be like the Democrats and the Republicans coming together on one issue. Now, we know that that's never going to happen. You know what I mean? Like, they are so opposed that, that it would be 
just crazy to think that they would come together in opposition of Jesus. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying. The religious leaders are going to accuse me. The Romans are going to kill me. He says they will mock him, again, talking about himself, and this happened. He says they will spit on him, and this happened. They will flog him with a whip, and this happened. And they will kill him, and that happened too. But, Jesus says, and this is so important, but after three days, he will rise again. Amen. Come on. That is why we have hope. He says, these two factions are going to come together. They're going to beat me. They're going to mock me. They are going to torture me. Then they're going to kill me. But don't lose heart because three days later, I'm going to rise victoriously from the grave. You know how the disciples responded? They didn't. Again, because I believe they had no mental capacity to process this ridiculous conversation that they were hearing. They just didn't understand, and it's not their fault, because nothing like this had ever happened before. And so, so they don't even ask questions this time. And it seems like that would be appropriate. It seems like they should say, okay, Jesus, kind of tell us what to do in these three days. Where should we go? Like, like do you want us to fight for you? Uh, I mean, what, what should we be doing at this time? Uh, do we need to come and hang out at the grave? Do we need to pray? Do we need to bring you some clothes so that when you get out of the grave, I mean, like you're, you're modest and so Like, what do you want us to do, Jesus? But, they, but they, don't, they don't say anything. They don't say anything. Again, they assume Jesus is speaking in some sort of riddle or analogy. Surely Jesus doesn't literally mean that he is going to be beaten with a whip. He, he, he probably means he's going to be mocked with words or, or something. But, but, but they don't know what Jesus is talking about when the reality is Jesus is specifically telling them physically what is about to happen. And they don't even respond. Again, we have to remember at no point leading up to and during the crucifixion was Jesus ever outmatched, outmuscled, overwhelmed, overpowered, or caught off guard. That's so important that we understand this. So let's fast forward to the night that Jesus was betrayed. That was when they were coming into Jerusalem. Fast forward to the night that Jesus was betrayed. He was in the garden praying with the disciples. And, um, and this is my absolute favorite moment in all of Scripture. I want you to see just how cool Jesus is. Because oftentimes when we think of Jesus, we, we think of, uh, you know, kind of a, a passive, hippie, sort of free love, hanging out in sandals, and he's got this perfect Revlon hair. You know, but it's not Revlon, it's Monet hair. Let's, let's, it's 2018, right? It's Monet hair. It's this perfect hair, and, and he's kind of this real passive guy. But I want you to see just really how cool Jesus is in this. John chapter 18, verse 13 the leading priests and the Pharisees had given Judas a contingent of Roman soldiers and temple guards. And so once again, you see the religious leaders and the Romans working together, which was extremely odd, working together in opposition to Jesus. And now with blazing torches, lanterns, and weapons, they arrived at the olive grove where Jesus was praying with the disciples. So Judas leads a contingent of a couple hundred of the strongest, deadliest, most elite military-trained warriors in the world to come arrest Jesus. We've got to see how this plays out. Verse 4. Jesus fully realized. Everybody say this with me so that we, we get this and we're all on the same page. Jesus what? Jesus fully realized. Jesus knew this was coming. Jesus fully realized all that was going to happen to him. Again, Never was he outmatched, outmuscled, overwhelmed, overpowered, or caught off guard. Jesus fully realized what was going to happen to him. So he stepped forward to meet them. 
contingent of a couple hundred Roman guards, elite temple guards, the best of the best, the strongest of the strongest. He steps up and he says, who are you looking for? He knew who they were looking for, but he says, who are you looking for? Verse five, Jesus the Nazarene, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. We have to pause here for just a minute. This is important for us. And, and I do this with my kids when we're watching movies sometimes. Like, I'll hit the pause button. And they're like, come on, Dad. Um, but uh, I'll hit the pause button so that I can explain. Hey, do you remember when this happened like 30 minutes ago in the movie? This is what it's talking about right now. So, so, so you can put the pieces together. And it drives them crazy. But I'm going to do that here this morning. I'm going to hit the pause button so that we can go back. And so hit the pause button on the story in, in the garden. And let's go all the way back to the book of Exodus when um, Moses was talking to God through the burning bush. You remember, the Israelites had been in Egyptian captivity for about 400 years, and God was ready to set them free. And so he talks to Moses in the burning bush, and he says, Moses, I want you to go free my people. I'm going to work powerfully through you. Um, you are going to strip Egypt of all their wealth, and then all of Israel is going to walk out of Egypt completely completely free. I'm going to take you to the promised land and things are going to go really, really well for you. And Moses is talking back to God and saying, God, I, I, don't, I don't speak well. I, 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 I stutter a lot and, 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 and I can't really do this. And, and, and you're just freaking out and all this. I can't go back there. You know, they know me in Egypt and, and all this stuff. And, and besides, they're not going to listen to me. I mean, what do I tell them? Like I talked to a bush and then the, and then the bush told me to come and it's really weird. And, and so Moses says to God through the burning bush, he says, well, then who should I tell them that sent me? Who should I tell them I'm speaking for? Like who, what is your name? And God says this to Moses through the burning bush. He says, you tell them I am sent you. He said, you tell them I am that I am sent you. And, and this name I am is an all-powerful, all-encompassing, this great name that God uses, this, this supreme name that God uses to refer to himself when he says, you tell them, I am sent you. And, and it's interesting, we often refer to Jesus as the great I am. Jesus is the great I am. So unpause, back to the garden. Jesus says, who are you looking for? And they said, Jesus the Nazarene. Jesus says, I am he. And, and I want you to see this. I don't think that, that it was a simple answer to a question, but a divine declaration from the mouth of God in, in, in Jesus that he was saying, I am the great I am. And, and I think that he was referring all the way back to Egypt or, or the book of Exodus where he was talking through the, the burning bush where, where God was saying, I am that I am. In essence, Jesus was saying, I am the great I am because this is what happens. When Jesus says, I am he, look at this, verse six. This is my favorite part of all scripture. As Jesus said, I am he, they all drew back and fell to the ground. A study of the original language suggests that this wasn't just a trip and fall but that when Jesus said, I am, the whole contingent of warriors fell back violently as if they had been aggressively struck. Put this picture in your mind. Jesus is there with 11 of his disciples. He steps up, he says, hey, who are you looking for? They say, Jesus. And Jesus says, I am he. And he's pointing back to the burning bush. And he's saying, I am the great I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the first and the last. I am the alpha and the omega. I am the bread of life. I am your soon coming king. I am the resurrection and the life. And he's saying, 
He's saying, I am. And when he spoke those words, they were so powerful that all the army just went to the ground. As if he put on the boxing gloves in his room to every one of them. And Jesus is so cool. I mean, I'm telling he's so cool. Because then Jesus says again, after they pick themselves up, you know, like, oh my God. He says, again, who are you looking for? You know? That's pretty cool, right? And then they, you know, they say, Jesus, again, we have to know that Jesus never was outmatched, outmuscled, overwhelmed, overpowered, or caught off guard. It was as if in that moment he was saying, look, I, I just want to make it clear to everybody involved, to all the, the disciples and to all of you, I want to make it clear that over these next few hours that are going to lead to my death, at no point in this process will I be out of control. I'm in control of all of this. And all I have to do, just remember, all I have to do is open my mouth. And if I open my mouth, you will be powerless to stand against me. Are we clear on that? And then he says again, who are you looking for? Man, Jesus is so cool, right? He is so cool. So then Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, mocked, spit on, flogged, and crucified, just as he said. And many of us today don't have the mental capacity to process this. Why would God allow this? Why would Jesus allow this to happen? The answer is very simple. It's you. He allowed this to happen because he loves you. He allowed this to happen because you can't win the fight on your own. He allowed this to happen because without his death, you would be powerless to stand in the ring when the enemy comes against you. Jesus allowed the cross because he loves you. Because he loves you. And then three days later, Jesus rose victoriously from the dead. And the grave lies empty as a sign that Jesus is alive. He is risen. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's our champion, redeemer, savior. He is the great I am. And it was fulfilled just as he says it would be. In fact, it's funny, you, you, you read the account of the, the women going to the grave to uh, anoint him with oil, his dead body with oil, and they find that the grave has been removed, and they're like freaking out. Man, who stole Jesus' body? Somebody stole his body. This is terrible. And the angel appears to him, and, and they said, where's Jesus? And, and the, angel says, the angel says to the women, he's risen. He's, he, or he's not here. He is risen. What? Just as he said he would. Like he wasn't joking when he said he was going to die and raise again in three days. He did everything that he said he was going to do. At no point was he overwhelmed or overmuscled, you know, outmatched or, or out of control. Jesus was in control the entire time. From the very beginning, the fight was fixed. From the moment Judas put that betrayal kiss on his cheek, the fight was fixed. From the very beginning, it was. In Acts chapter 2, Peter is preaching in Jerusalem. He's talking about Jesus, and this is what he says. He says, people of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene by doing powerful, wonderful, uh, powerful miracles, wonderful, wonders, and signs through him, as you well know. But God knew what would happen and has what? What's that word? Has prearranged. And his prearranged plan was carried out when Jesus was betrayed. Look, all of this was a part of God's plan. This was always plan A. God never moved to plan B. Plan A was the cross from the very beginning. Verse 24, but God re released him from the horrors of death and raised him back to life, for death could not keep him in its grip. Listen, we know the cross is ugly, and it looked like Jesus had been beaten, but the outcome was never in question. 
we have to know. From the very beginning, the fight was fixed. And we, we talk about um, life, that, that this battle of life that we experience often. We, we talk about this kind of like it's a boxing match, like it's a struggle. I think if I work hard enough, if I train long enough, if I save enough money, if I get a little bit lucky from time to time, then maybe, just maybe, at the end of my life, somebody's going to raise my hand victorious because I've won at life. And we think that we have to do all of this stuff, like, like we are in control, like the outcome rests on us. But the reality is life is, is less like a boxing match and more like a professional wrestling match. Less speedos, thank the Lord, but it's, it's more like a professional wrestling match in the fact that the outcome has been predetermined. Think about this. Like the outcome has been predetermined by somebody that exists outside of the ring. The outcome has been predetermined by the higher-ups that says, you know what? Victory is guaranteed for that person because I have declared it. Victory is guaranteed for them because of what I did on the cross and what I did in the grave. Victory is guaranteed for them because I'm in their corner. And it's predetermined. For those, for those who love the Lord, the outcome is never in question. Now, there may be seasons of tension, in your life, there may be seasons where drama comes. Any of you ever experienced drama in your life? There may be seasons of stress. Anybody there? Anybody there right now? There may be seasons of pain. Some of you are here this morning and you're experiencing pain, heartache. There's even times where, where we do hurt and, and there is blood from time to time. And it looks like we're overwhelmed and beaten but the outcome is never in question. The fight is fixed. The victory has been predetermined, bought with the blood of Jesus, and guaranteed in the resurrection. Don't for a second ever think that your struggle means that God has left you or abandoned you, because he hasn't. Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 35, can anyone ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake we were killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. What Paul is saying is you may hurt. You may experience pain. You may experience heartache. There may even be times that you bleed, but I want you to know, Christian, I want you to know, believer, that you are a conqueror. No, you are more than a conqueror because overwhelming victory is yours through Christ Jesus because he already fought the battle. He already won the victory. He already rose victorious. They already raised his hands in victory. And as long as you are with him and in his corner, overwhelming victory is yours. Your fight is fixed. Your victory has been predetermined and guaranteed. So stay close to him. Stay close. Paul is speaking directly to something that we often feel, that painful circumstances and difficult seasons cause us to question God's goodness and feel like we're losing. Some of you are here today because because somebody invited you. Some of you are here today because your kids wanted to hold bunnies, you know? But you're here today and you're angry with God. You're mad at God because of what you've gone through and maybe you're mad because of what you're currently going through and emotional pain keeps touching you and you feel powerless to stand against it. 
Physical pain keeps touching you. Relational pain keeps touching you. You're standing in the ring. You, you feel like you're getting beaten on all sides. Persecution keeps touching you. Addiction keeps touching you. Resentment keeps touching you. And some of you are here today and you would say, Pastor Chris, I don't even feel like I'm just getting tapped or, or popped. I feel like the enemy has, has full-on swung hard, knocked me completely flat. I don't feel like I have an ounce of energy or an ounce of fight left in me. I, I can see the referee giving me the 10 count, and I am not interested at all in getting back up. I want you to know this morning, man, I, I, I plead you this morning to get back up Take heart, brush yourself off, because no matter what happens in this life right now, as you stay connected to Jesus, your resurrection in eternity is guaranteed and your fight is fixed, just like Jesus's was. Depression may be winning at the moment, but it will not win. Anger may be winning at the moment, but it will not win. Unforgiveness may be winning at the moment, but it will not win. The enemy may be winning at the moment, but it will not win. It may feel like death is winning at the moment, but it will not win. The empty grave is proof of that. Your victory is sealed in Christ. Paul says, Paul says, no, 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 no. Listen, despite all of these things, despite how many times you've been tagged, Oh, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory. Overwhelming victory is ours in Christ. Stand your feet all across this place. You may look at your situation that you're in right now and feel outmatched, outmuscled, overwhelmed, overpowered, and caught off guard, but I want you to remember, Jesus never was and he never is. And today, Jesus is inviting you to his inner circle. Jesus is telling you that he's there in your corner and he wants to fight with you. We hope you enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.